Good morning, everybody. And welcome to New Day Church. If you're new to New Day, my name is Andrew, so let me welcome you if you're online with us. Let me welcome you in the room with me. And if you're anywhere else in the building listening to this, we're so glad that you're joining us. We're in a series called Christ the King, and we are in a chapter called Chapter 10. And the verses we're covering today are Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. And the theme of today's message, which I'm so thankful to be able to preach the Word of God in a way that we're able to do it here in our country, in our town here in Enfield. It's, it's wonderful. It's a beautiful privilege. I'm thankful for that on Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm glad that we get to talk about divine division today. The theme is divine division. Speaking of Thanksgiving weekend and speaking of division, how were those Thanksgiving dinners, everybody? I want to know. Was there any divine division at Thanksgiving? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want you to incriminate yourself today, but I do have this rhetorical question. Did anybody get in some arguments at Thanksgiving or at least have a little tension in the room? Maybe it was that conspiracy theory uncle that showed up and he was in full effect and all of a sudden your cranberry sauce didn't taste as good, you know, because he's carrying on over there about the latest conspiracy, and you're like, I just want to enjoy my food. Do we have to get into this? Or, or maybe for you, it's that sibling that no matter how many times you see how poorly it goes, she always brings up politics. Why? It's never good. It doesn't ever work out at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, it, we, every single year, year in, year out, same sibling, same politics they bring up, and all you want to do is chuck a turkey leg at them from across the room. And you're a Christian, so you're not supposed to do that, so you know, but there's this there's this tension because you just can't believe you found yourself there again. And one of those family awkward arguments in a holiday. And hey, for many of us that are Christians, and many of us are here in a church building like this, and many online watching are Christians, not all, but many, our immediate family members sometimes as Christians, and we attend holidays with them, well, they don't tend to always feel the same way about our beliefs, do they? So maybe you invited somebody this Thanksgiving and you invited them to our upcoming water baptism that's happening on the 18th of December. And maybe some of you, you invited people already to our Christmas Eve services that are happening on Christmas Eve in December. And right after you opened your mouth, you were thinking, why did I do it? Because there was this palpable tension in the room. Because you're a believer, you're really excited about what Christ has done in your life. You're excited about what God is doing in our church in your life. You're so excited about what you're learning through God's word and the truth that you found and you've grasped the hold of. And Jesus truly is your Lord and Savior. And so you really want other people to know and experience that. And you think of it in such a positive way. And you're thinking about, this is such a good thing I'm offering. I'm telling you about something so wonderful. And then you just get this like, oh, this, this response that doesn't seem to match your passion and your excitement for it from your unbelieving family member. And all of a sudden there's a division. And now, depending on the person that this happens with, it's not that big of a deal, but when it ends up being your own parents, what happens then? If it's your very own parents that aren't believers and they don't approve of your relationship with Jesus, that's a very unique division. What happens when it's your dad? What happens when it's your mom? What happens when it's your in-laws? What happens when one of the closest human relationships in your life doesn't agree with this whole Jesus thing that you're up to? This whole Jesus thing that they feel like actually is really messing up the family dynamic. Everything was good until this whole Jesus stuff took over your life, Christian. 
What happens then? Well, this is the reality that many of us experience at some point in our lives, and some of you just experienced it this last week. But it's exactly what our text aims to tackle today. You see, over the last few weeks, Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and we've called them apostles because they're now sent ones. Jesus is preparing to send them out to go live this Christian walk out loud into the world. And he's just given them a fair warning. And I love this about Jesus because he always gives us the truth, whether it's what we really want to hear or not. He at least, you know, he's going to tell you the truth. And he's saying, you're going to have all these issues come up. There's these things you've got to be aware of. Watch out for this. And then in this section of scripture, chapter 10, verses 34 to 39, we see this reality. As he's telling them all these things to watch out for, now he brings us to this reality that, and on top of all of those things, there may be this divine division that can take place even in your family. Let's read about it together today. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. (laughs) Verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will actually lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, those are the people that will find it. Now that we've read it, I want to break down this divine division into four points. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you will, here's your first fill in the blank. Number one is there's actually a confusion here. It's the confusion. The confusion. Take a look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, one more time with me. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is like one of those say what verses. It's just like, what? That doesn't, What? And if the original hearers were, like, if they did that in those days, they would do, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Because the original hearers, they actually knew their Bibles. And they knew the Old Testament in particular. And they knew what the Messiah was supposed to do. And from their perspective, the Messiah was going to bring political deliverance for Israel and was going to usher in an eternal kingdom of righteousness, and here's the key word, peace. So they're thinking, like, this is good. Like, we're on the cusp of peace. Like, what do you mean you didn't come to bring peace? You're the Messiah. We need you to be the Messiah who brings and ushers in peace. So you can't blame them for thinking this way because the Old Testament is full of these references. I'll give you just a few. In Isaiah, he's called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah also spoke of him, the Messiah, his reign of perfect justice and peace. Solomon speaks of the Messiah and his worldwide rule of peace and abundance. So there's this mentality of like, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be awesome because it's been awful strife and horrific rule from the Romans. It's time for some peace. I'm ready for some peace on earth. And that's what they're looking for. So this is the disciples, the Old Testament reference for them. So let's say you don't know the Old Testament and the prophets. That's okay. But let's say you're one of those people with the weird musical disorder where you listen to Christmas music in July. Remember those people in here? That's a problem. We're praying for you. We're praying for you, if that's you. 
But if you have that musical disorder, here's what you know, because you've been listening to these Christmas songs forever. And some of you now, it's kicked in, we're allowed to listen to it now, just so you know, so now it's Thanksgiving, so we're all good to go. So if you've been listening to some Christmas carols, what you know is that almost every song seems to reference peace in some way or another. We're talking about the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah, and you can't escape this word peace, peace on earth. In fact, I looked up many of them, but one of them, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Every stanza ends like this, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Bottom line, the disciples expected peace from the Messiah. And if we're honest, we do too. So when Jesus shows up and says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, we're like, JC, what's going on? Did you miss the Messiah memo? Like, well, dude, what is the problem? You're, you're missing it. Let me help you out. You're saying the wrong things. You don't talk about not bringing peace and swords. Stop. This is what the Messiah is supposed to look like. So they had confusion. We actually have some too. So let's try to clear it up today. First off, the gospel is indeed a gospel of peace because it offers a way to bring peace between a holy God and a sinful mankind. Sinful humans like you and like me. The reality is that Jesus truly does bring that kind of peace. He came, the Messiah comes because there is a holy God. Holy means set apart, different. A God in a way that you as a human, me as a human, could never be. There's this huge chasm between us and nothing we do good enough can ever get us there and therefore we have animosity with a God like that. Yet Jesus, God's own son, the Messiah, is now the solution to the problem. We're at odds with God. We're at conflict with him because of sin. But yet we can have peace with him because of Christ and his sinless sacrifice on our behalf. Make no mistake about it. There is peace that Christ offers. It is the peace with God by placing your faith in Jesus once and for all as a sinful human that recognizes the need to repent. That is the peace that Jesus truly offers. And yes, the Christian life can provide a peaceful existence with mankind. There are many Christian virtues, like put somebody before yourself, or take care of somebody's needs, or love your neighbor as yourself. There are so many different ways that we can live as Christians that I would tell you this, they would help you influence your friends and win friends and influence people. There's so many things being a Christian actually will attract people to you. Talk about in employment. If you're living the life of a Christian for your employer, a lot of times, more times than not, in fact, your employer will want to promote you. You will get pushed along. People will applaud you. They'll be thankful that they have a Christian around them. But it's not always the case and this is the key thing I don't want you to miss today. Because ultimately when you accept Christ, you have peace with God. And anytime you have peace with God, you simultaneously are at war with evil. Now sometimes because of the Christian life, it just produces so many beautiful, wonderful things, which is God's intention for it. But it can't change the reality sometimes in certain circumstances and with certain people that your relationship with God now, that peace you have with a holy, righteous God simultaneously creates a hostility that is inevitable with those that support the ways of wrong. 
Jesus uses the word sword here on purpose. It's not meant literally. He's not bringing a literal sword. It's meant as this word we've been talking about, division, to cut into, to kind of draw a line in the sand, but you're really cutting between relationships, those that have peace with God and those who do not. There is a divide that must occur with evil for the true follower and apostles of Christ. Jesus is unique this way. He really just either attracts people or he repels them. There's really no middle ground with the real Jesus of the Bible. Now, before you get up and leave and get angry at me that maybe I think that pastor up there just called my unbelieving family evil. I think he said that. I'm pretty sure he did. Or if you're in the room or online and you're not one of us, that is, you're not a Christian, so you think, I think he's calling me evil. I think I should be offended at that guy. Before you get too offended, let me comfort you. And I think this is going to comfort you or it's going to offend you even more. I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to go out with it. But I just need you to know that when I call you evil or I say there's an unbelieving friend or family member that's evil, I just need you to know they're evil just like me. And actually, they're, they're evil just like any other Christian in the room. And Christians, you actually need to hear this too. As Christians, we're no better than anybody else. Sometimes you've met Christians that behave that way, but that's not true Christianity. The true Christian knows that I'm not better than anybody else. In fact, I have the same exact evil that you have. The only difference between me and you is that I've raised my hand and said, I'm one of those people. I'm a sinner. I've repented. I've said, I need a savior. I've said, I've got evil in me that I can't deal with apart from Christ. And so the only difference between a Christian and their evil and an unbeliever is that the Christian has raised their hand and said, I have that in me and I want a savior. I need a Jesus. I need him to rescue me, to, to give me peace. I know I'm at odds with God. And I have no way to get to him apart from Christ. That's the only difference. We're no better than anybody else. On the contrary, we're just as evil. But what we've received is this peace that Jesus offers. It's peace with God. Yes, sometimes it brings peace with mankind, but every now and then, even in the relationships that matter the most to you in this life, there begins to be a divide, a division, because your peace with God has put you at war with those that are trying to keep Jesus at an arm's length. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's number one, clearing up the confusion. Here's number two if you're still with me. Number two is the conflict. Number two is the conflict. Let's read the verse, Matthew 10, 35 to 36, the verses. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies, they'll be those of his own household. Jesus knew that the disciples had confusion because of the Old Testament and the concept of peace and the Messiah coming to bring peace. And so what I love that he did is he used the Old Testament to actually inform them that you just kind of missed some of the prophecy. He's actually quoting directly from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Take a look. This is Micah 7, 6. Jesus is quoting directly and he says, For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. This word against means to cut in two. We don't love the prophecies about Jesus in this way. We like the peace talk. We like the puppy dogs and ice cream Jesus. That's what I'm in for. But then you start talking about against. You start talking about division. It's the same word as the sword. It's, it's this divide. It, it's this cutting a line 
between those that are going to follow Christ and those who will not, well, all of a sudden, we don't love that about the Messiah as much. But Jesus is not mincing words. He is saying that there will be a division, a cutting in two for the disciples, the true followers of Jesus, even when you're acting like a Christian. I'm not talking Christian about the times you're acting like a jerk and people don't like you. People don't like jerks. That's just kind of how that works. That's just a principle. You don't need the Bible to figure that out. I'm talking about when you're acting like Christ, when you're like my youth pastor used to say, when you're Jesus with skin on. Which that means you're just every, if someone meets you, it's almost like meeting Jesus. When you're, you're like, you're kind of on your A game. You are putting others before yourself. You're loving people unconditionally. You're doing everything you can to go the extra mile. I mean, you're doing all these Christian virtues. You're doing the right thing, even in those moments, even with your family, even with those closest to you. Sometimes there's going to be a divide because it's not actually you that's the problem. It's actually Jesus himself in your life that is creating the conflict. It's that peace with God that you found through him. And it's an offense to those who have yet to receive it. When Jesus said this to his original hearers, a man against his father, you just need to know that culturally at that time, this offended against one of the most deep-seated convictions in the minds of the hearers. You didn't, you didn't mess up that relationship, father and son. You would never go about that. That was so sacred that Jesus would say that he now, Jesus, needs to be even more important than that most important relationship to the hearers of the time. And then Jesus goes on, just in case someone didn't have a father or somebody just didn't have that same feelings even then. He uses this word, members of your own household, to encompass any relationship. That is any and every relationship in the apostles' lives because at the end of the day, it's impossible to predict how a person will receive the gospel. And even if that person you love the most in the world doesn't accept the gospel, for the follower of Jesus, you're still required to give your full devotion to him, not to that family member who's now giving you pressure. Are you sure you have to be that serious about your faith? Are you sure you have to undo all these things in your life that you feel convicted about now? Are you sure you've got to go that direction? So on and so forth, Jesus is saying, I need your full devotion, and when I do, it's going to create an against. It's going to create a division. You see, there was confusion. We thought it would be peace and Christmas tunes. And now there's a conflict. And not only will there be a division, but it's going to be with the people that we hold dearest in our lives. And now number three, if you're still taking notes, there's the choice. There's the choice. The choice. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Intense words. In the movie Top Gun, there's a scene with the instructor Viper. You should watch Top Gun, okay? If you don't, we pray for you about that, and we pray for you if you listen to Christmas tunes in July, okay? So that's just kind of where we're setting the record straight today. But Viper is instructing the Top Gun group, and they're wanting to be the Top Gun. And he says, looking at one of the plaques of the former Top Guns, he says, in case some of you are wondering who the best is, they're up here on this plaque. 
And then he turns around and he asks a rhetorical question, which means we don't really want you to answer it out loud. And he says, do you think your name will be on that plaque? And he's talking to the whole class. And then Maverick, Tom Cruise, says, yes, sir, out loud in front of everybody. And so Viper responds. He goes, that's pretty arrogant considering the company you're in. Maverick pauses for a minute and says, yes, sir. And Viper re replies, I like that in a pilot. What Viper's saying is, I think you got the right stuff. He was looking at Maverick and this group of a bunch of hotshot pilots, and he's saying, at least in their circle, arrogance is actually going to serve you pretty well. I think you've got what it takes. I think you've got the moxie. I think you've got the grit. And then he goes on in the movie to show that he certainly does. You see, when Jesus says the phrase, not worthy of me, it's actually a similar idiom along the lines of not having what it takes to be one of his sent ones. You see, we either got what it takes or we don't. We've either got the right stuff or we don't. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to make me priority number one, well, you won't have what it takes. Even if your intimate and meaningful relationships in this life are affected negatively, if you're not willing to still stay with me, Jesus says, still be loyal to me, still be team Jesus, still be one of my followers, he says, you don't really have what it takes. Here's Jesus' point. The concern for salvation in your life and the concern to yield to Christ's absolute lordship in your life must be paramount. It must be the most important thing. Whatever the cost in your relationships may be. Don't get it twisted. Christian, of course we have to love and care for our households. Of course we have to live Christ-like lives. Of course we have to honor our mother and our father. We can't just ignore the rest of the scriptures. We have to live in a way that honors God and puts others before ourselves. We have to do gentleness, respect, and above all, love that covers a multitude of sins. This is the Christian life. We must do that, but our love and concern for those people must never become absolute to the extent that devotion to God is compromised. Some of us, we love people so much in this life that the minute that they start to have a different opinion about our relationship, even with Christ, they have such a pull, they have such weight because we value them so much that it leaves us questioning our own faith. It leaves us wondering, should I kind of go their direction? Maybe I am being too crazy about this Jesus stuff. Maybe I am overly committed. Maybe I am just too spiritually minded about Jesus. And we start to believe the things that that person says. And Jesus says, don't get it wrong. I'm number one. I am the priority, even amongst the most important relationships. This is a prioritizing that Jesus is putting into place. He's placing devotion to him, devotion to him above anybody else. And I just got to tell you, Jesus does this all the time. But this is wild of Jesus to say. It's outrageous for him to say. I already told you how crazy that would be to the hearers when they think, wait, you're saying, I, Jesus, you need to be above my relationship with my father? Are you kidding me? It is wild. And if Jesus was a mere man, honestly, saying something like this, he'd be a lunatic. It would be ridiculous. This is just something that nobody, a mere man, would say. And honestly, if a mere man or woman did ask you to ignore the most important relationships in your life, I'd be the first person to tell you, run away from that person. That's messed up. 
They're doing the wrong thing. They're trying to break up something that God has ordained to be really important in your life, your parents, your spouse, your children. You, you've just got to just walk away from that person. They're, they're nuts if they're just a mere man. But if Jesus is in fact who he claims to be, if he truly is divine, remember today's message is divine division. If he is God, then and only then can he ask for such a level of devotion beyond what our minds have ever, ever considered in this earthly life. If he is God, he can ask it. And I want to encourage you today and share with you the truth from the scriptures. He certainly is God. You see, Jesus is God. And so in verse 38, Jesus really seals the deal. Because not only will he require being first above any of your loved ones, any of the closest relationships in your life, in only the way divinity could ask of us, he now goes one layer even deeper. He asks us to go even above and beyond to the person that you actually likely love the most. And guess who that is? <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I know you wouldn't do that. That's so interesting is Jesus just knows. He just knows how we're wired. And no matter how much you can love another person, he actually knows the greatest desire is actually for our own well-being, our own good, our own lives. Jesus brings up the word cross. And the moment he brings up the word cross, every hearer that heard it would have instantly thought of those Roman roads lined with crucifixions. These people that had committed some form of a crime, maybe, maybe not, and now they're dying as an example, so yet you don't mess up in the same way. Don't mess up or you're going to end up on one of those crosses too. Instantly they knew when Jesus said the word cross, he was saying, I'm calling you to give up even life itself to follow me. I'm talking about that level of devotion. If you're not willing to give up even life itself, and many of those disciples would go on to do so. And that's hard for us to fathom because most of us don't believe and feel like we, that would happen. It's very likely we wouldn't that we'd have to actually give our physical life up for Christ. But don't miss it today. Jesus is asking the same of you, potentially that, yeah, but more likely, anything and everything that you hold dear. Not just relationships with loved ones. Relationships with even yourself, meaning your own dreams, your own aspirations. What you've always thought of to this point as being what life really is what my goal is, when I'll really arrive with that thing in you, would you be willing to put Jesus before that? Jesus is saying, anything that you're not willing to abandon is in front of me and then you don't have what it takes. The call was to abandon themselves without reservation to Jesus' lordship with no consideration of cost, even of life itself. If Jesus is a mere man, can I just tell you real quick, the choice is simple, walk away. If Jesus is just a mere man asking that of anybody, I'd be the first person to tell you, you got to move along. That person's crazy. They're obsessed. They're, they're just over the top. They're, they're, they've lost it. Move along. If he's a mere man. But if Jesus is God, if he's truly the promised Messiah, if he's truly the way, the truth, and the life, then he can and he does require a choice to be made. Prioritize him above any relationship, even the deepest desires within ourself. That's the choice. And finally, if you're still with me, here's the fourth. 
The fourth fill in the blank is the consolation. The consolation. Consolation is the comfort received by a person after a loss or a disappointment. I don't know about you, but this is a heavy teaching. So if you have someone in your life that's not a believer and you know there's division there, you know that pain. You know that loss and that disappointment as you've begun following Christ and placing him first. So I want to encourage you and give you Jesus' consolation to us. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Here's how Jesus says it in this portion of Scripture, though you can find him comforting people in a similar way throughout the Gospels. But here's what he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. If Jesus is a man, run away. But if he's God, he truly knows you and me. And he knows how we're wired. And guess what you and I are often doing? We're grasping on to life. We find something in this life and we think that's the ticket. I finally figured it out. I've been searching for purpose. I've been searching for meaning. I've been trying to figure this out all along and I found it. It's family. It's putting family first and then we grab on to family. Family becomes the most important. It sounds good. It's good to tweet it out. It's good to put it on socials. And we just, but what we don't realize is we're grabbing onto it so tightly. These people mean the most to me in the whole world. I love them. All these things are good things. They're not even bad things. But what we don't realize is when we put it in the wrong place, we're holding on so tight. And we say to ourselves, I found life. I finally found it. And Jesus is watching. And he sees that though we think we found life, what we don't realize is because we're so stressed out about keeping it. What will happen if they die? What will happen if I lose them? What will happen if I offend them? I'm so nervous. I could never lose them. How could I go on? And Jesus sees the grip. And he understands us as a whole. We're his creation. He knows what makes us tick. And he realizes, you don't realize that. You think you found life. You're losing it. This grip you have on what you think is life is sucking everything out of you. All the joy, all the peace, it's gone. And then you turn around and you say, well, it wasn't family. But I finally found it. It's friends. And you grip on tight. It's my community. We did Friendsgiving. These are, these are all wonderful things. These are beautiful things. But all of a sudden you think, what would I do if I didn't have them? How could I go on? And the grip gets tighter. And what Jesus knows is if you've placed them in the wrong position, you're just so worried. The life is sucking out of you because you're so anxious that you'll mess it up. What if they don't like me next week? What if I ruin all of this? And then some of you think, I've been hurt enough by family and friends and people. It's all about me. You know what I got to do? I got to love myself. I know what life is. Life is putting me first, making sure I hustle. I can't rely on everybody else. It's the me show. That's where it's, I'm going to love myself. And you grip that view of life. And you think you found life. But all that's happening is everything in you is an anxious, torn up mess. When Jesus says you try to find life and you lose it, that's what he's talking about. When we try to put something that's not him in his place, it's never going well. And we're hanging on and trying to make it work. Well, Jesus today has an alternate way. Here's what Jesus says to you and to me if we'll listen. He says, trust me. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, surrender. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, loosen the grip a little bit. Jesus says, let go of the reins. Here's what Jesus says to you and me if we're willing to listen. He says, take all those things that you've been holding on so tightly to, and what if you just open them up? Here's all that you thought life was. Friends, family, yourself, everything, anything, anybody, anything. What if you lost it all? 
What if you were willing to do this right in front of my face, Jesus says. And at that point, guess what's going to happen? You're free. It's not this grip on life anymore. It's the trust. It's the surrender. It's the lose your life. It's putting it out in front of Jesus. You can do with it as you see fit. That's what Jesus offers. Be willing to entrust me with all of the things, family, friends, your very own life. And not only will you find eternal life because Jesus is Savior, but you'll also finally be giving the proper person leadership over every area of your life. And it was never one of your family members. It was never one of your friends. And it certainly wasn't you that was to be leader. It's always to be him because he's not just Savior. He is Lord and Savior. He's not just Jesus. He is Christ the King. And he can ask it of us. So the consolation you ask, the comfort that we offer, I'm gonna sum it up like this. Here's Jesus and his comfort for you. Ready? It's your next fill in the blanks. No sacrifice for Christ can ever compare with what we will receive from Christ. The sacrifice you make here, when you trust Jesus and you give that to him, no sacrifice for him that you may have to give up in that grip will ever compare with what we will receive from him. You see, your consolation is peace with God. Your salvation is settled. But beyond that, your consolation is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not the kind of peace when everything's just going your way and all of your family agrees with your life choices and everybody's applauding you in the background. It's not that kind of peace. First of all, that's temporary and it's shallow peace. This is a peace that is not absence of strife, conflict, and troubles. That's not what he offers. He offers a peace that is his presence through every strife, every struggle, every conflict. He promises they'll be there and he promises never to leave you or forsake you as he carries you through. This is the peace. There was a confusion, a conflict, a choice, and a consolation. That's the divine division. So now what I want to leave you with today is your final fill in the blank and it's the divine decision. You've heard the division. Now here's the divine decision for anybody who'd be willing to hear me out. The divine decision today is to decide once and for all to make Jesus the one. Craig Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church, and he said recently on his social media accounts that some people are obsessed with finding the one. Talk about you think you're going to find life somewhere? I just got to find the one. He said, people often believe that to be happy and fulfilled in life, they need to meet the one perfect person who meets their needs and fills the void. But then he went on to say that God actually has something better for us. And I'm going to read to you what he said. It's in the context of marriage, but I want you to listen to it. He said, in Christ, or in a Christ-centered marriage, Christ is our one, and our spouse is actually our two. One of the best ways we can love our spouse is to love our God with all our hearts, souls, and mind. I'm going to holler at the single people first, okay? Just in case you're single and you feel left out, I actually changed it up because I think it can apply to every single person. Here's my new quote from Craig. I hope he's not mad. In a Christ-centered life, Christ is our one and anybody or anything else is our two. One of the best ways we can love anybody or anything else well is to love our God first with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If Jesus wants to be number one and he's just a man, it's ridiculous. But Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. 
Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Jesus knows you. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He knows what you need. He knows you've been trying to figure out life and all you're doing every day, day in and day out, losing it, day after day after day, because you've missed it. You've put something else as the one. Jesus says, I'm the one. Christian, it'll never make sense. And I'm not saying when you make me the one that everything's going to be perfect. In fact, there may be a divine division depending on your circumstances, but I promise you that I will deliver for you time and time again. And the story's not written, by the way, on all of your unbelieving friends and family. Amen? Jesus says, trust me and watch what I do. Put me in that position. You have no idea what I might do through your life. Jesus is patient, way more than we are. So we have to trust the process. But the only thing you have to worry about is not all the details. That's his business. Your job today is this. Make him the one. Whatever it takes, whatever you need to do, Jesus needs to be not just Savior today. He needs to be Lord. You can keep searching for the good life that your family approves of you and your extended family's proud of you and you don't rock the boat in any way and then you die. Or you could say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm ready to be one of his sent ones. Call me an apostle. I'm ready to go out and do whatever it takes and I don't want division. In fact, I'm gonna do everything within me not to be a jerk. I'm gonna live like Jesus. I'm gonna try to show people love and gentleness and respect. As far as it's up to me, God, I'm gonna try to win people to you and help them see a, a positive thing about being a Christian and meeting Christians. But I know that peace with you means war with evil. And I know that at certain points, unfortunately, some people might not be on team Jesus with me and might shun me no matter what, God, though. I don't want that. I'm scared of it, honestly. But no matter what, I choose you. Jesus says, you got the right stuff. I like that in a Christian. You can work for me. This is Jesus. This is the divine division, the divine decision today is this. You can be worthy of what your parents, friends, and family think of you, or you can be worthy in the eyes of your Savior. Are we worthy to be a follower of Jesus? Are we willing to put Christ above all else? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the freedom to preach it and hear it and learn it. God, I thank you for your word being like a sword where it cuts deep into our hearts, God. Your Holy Spirit is at work, I know, because your word's being preached God, for so many people, they've experienced this division in ways I'll never understand. And God, for some of those people, it's been a difficult road. God, I pray that you would encourage them today. That as they've stayed the course and they've made you number one, God, I pray that they would know that they've got the right stuff. They are worthy of you. They're worthy to be called your follower because they're, they're not just wanting you to be savior and come in and save the day. They've said, you can be Lord. You can be king. You can be leader over my life and the most important relationship period. God, for somebody today, they need to make that decision for the first time. I pray that they would place their faith in you. That God, that they would come to the Father for the first time because of you and what you paid for them on the cross and what you accomplished by rising from the dead. And God, I pray that they would make that initial relationship right now in the name of Jesus. And then for those of us, God, we needed the reminder. We've been gripping onto life. We've put a relationship above you. We've put a thing above you. We've put our own life, our own aspirations, our own things. God, whatever it is, it's all on the table right now. Convict us in the way that only you can. That doesn't leave us ashamed, but inspires us, God, to put you first because we know 
We know we can trust you. We know at the end of the day, there's nothing that matters more than you. So God, I pray that every person within the sound of my voice today would make you the one. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and it's in the name of Christ the King we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. If you need to make any decision, like accepting Christ or any next step, please use your Connect card. If you're online, use the links you're provided. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you in December next week. God bless. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.